So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money, episode 1358, what I thought of We Crashed, the Apple Plus TV series. Warning, there are spoilers. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. It is fascinating that he has the chutzpah to continue on. You know, he's got the money in the bank. This has happened in such a public way and that he hasn't checked himself. I find that really interesting. Welcome to So Money, everybody. It is Wednesday, May 18th, and we're going to do something a little different today on the show. We're going to discuss the very popular Apple TV Plus miniseries, We Crashed, because this is what I've been spending too much time doing in my off time, and I figured, how can I make the most of this? Let's turn all of the energy and questions that I have around this series into a podcast episode. Now, before we bring on our guests, because I do actually have some guests, two friends, two journalists who've volunteered graciously to join me. They have also watched We Crashed, and we're going to get into it. But for those of you who are not familiar with We Crashed, here's the synopsis. It is the dramatization of the very real rise and fall of WeWork, and it's messianic I'm putting in air quotes, co-founder and CEO Adam Newman, played by Jared Leto. The series also stars Anne Hathaway as his wife, Rebecca Paltrow Newman. And yes, Paltrow as in First Cousins with Gwyneth Paltrow. I went down a bit of a rabbit hole after watching this. And then I went to Hulu and watched the documentary. I went to all the blogs. And then I finally said, I need to pour this into my real day job. So I want to talk about this with other smart women who have watched so we can just give this an old fashioned review. And who better to join me than we have two Kates on the show today. Kate Daly, longtime friend and journalist, now deputy managing editor for features at the Philadelphia Enquirer. And I hear you have some hot gossip about Adam Newman. We'll get to that. Absolutely. All right. Hang tight. And also joining us is Kate Sullivan, who's been on the show previously. She is herself also a journalist, a podcast host, a TV host. She's a friend. Her show is called To Dine For. It's a podcast that is ongoing and a show on PBS that is in uh, production for season five. And Kate, I was looking on your site the other day. You've interviewed everyone from Sarah Blakely, Howard Schultz, John Bon Jovi, David Copperfield. Who's on season five? Can you give us a hint? Ooh, that's a good question. We're right in the middle. But I will tell you that someone who is in the roster is Simon Sinek. (gasps) I love Simon Sinek. Oh, what a get. I love that. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. And so serendipitous that you volunteered to join me on this particular weird episode because you have experience interviewing CEOs and visionaries. So really curious to get both of your takes on this this show. I guess, what do you call it? A mini series, a show. It's an eight episodic event. You can watch it in a weekend. Quick reactions from watching the series. I'll go first and then I'll ask each of you what stood out to you, like just quick thoughts. So for me, it was... One, how much privilege Adam Newman assumed and and had 
frankly, uh, throughout the experience of starting WeWork, raising money for WeWork. We should know that earlier to WeWork, he had started a, uh, a child like clothing company where he was, it was actually pretty, I mean, I would have probably bought a couple of these pants where, you know, if you've got a crawler and they had extra padding on the knees, it didn't do well. So he always was this ambitious entrepreneur. But let's also remember he's tall, he's white, he's charismatic, he's male. And the Seeking mm-hmm. Venture Capital it, the movie almost made it like seem like it was not easy, but it was a lot easier for him, even though he went around barefoot. Can you mm-hmm. imagine going around barefoot in your office at work and being taken seriously? So that was one thing that I thought was just, I don't think was a dramatization. Kate Daly, what did you think was uh, kind of interesting as you were watching it? Well, I thought, you know, the privilege you pointed out was so interesting, especially because I watched WeWork at the same time I was watching, or we crashed at the same time I watched The Dropout, which was the Elizabeth Holmes. I'm watching that right now. Event mm-hmm. on, um, on Hulu, the Theranos one. And they're both these sort of like, almost like operatic or Shakespearean stories of like excess and hubris and deception and a big crash. But you definitely saw some differences in, in how Elizabeth Holmes, who was a female creator, was treated versus... Adam Newman, you know, in the dropout, Elizabeth Holmes gets a lecture about how her being a scammer is going to make it difficult for women going through. And then right. at the end, they say it's still really difficult for women. I don't think Elizabeth Holmes was great for women. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think that it's her fault. Female entrepreneurs are having trouble. I, I agree. I was actually just watching episode one of that. And Rebecca Jarvis, the genius behind that, the podcast creator of uh, The Dropout, which became the Hulu series. You remember when she first pitched an idea to a professor, a female professor, mm-hmm. and the female professor said to her, just some advice. When you're a woman trying to break through, especially in biomedics, you can just have a good idea. You have ha- you have to have like an exceptional world-breaking idea. You have to work 10 times as hard. And then when you fail, they can't wait to point out your failures. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to partner with you. <laughs> like that's yeah. For her, and it was like too risky. Nobody's saying like, oh, well, since Adam Newman failed, like the messianic CEO type is out. Right. I, and I do wonder, I'm so curious from, from your perspectives, because you see this more about what's going on in the world, but if it does feel like the ta- t- tables are turning against like, you know, the better to be smart than crazy or crazy to be mm-hmm. smart, um, which is another theme of the show. And I wonder if that's, if there is a slight backlash or if these really larger than life guys are still getting their, their companies funded and still being seen as sort of brilliant geniuses. Kate Sullivan, what do you think? I mean, also given your experience interviewing some of these mavericks and entrepreneurs, do you think Adam Newman was an outlier or he's sort of part of the culture? Well, there's so much. First of all, thank you for this opportunity because I watched it by myself and then talked about it with no one, but I had so many thoughts. So (laughs) I am like chomping at the bit to talk about this. So thank you for this opportunity. Um, First of all, you know, you, let's start with the positive. I mean, he really, I think, was a visionary. He um, he really had a phenomenal idea. WeWork is a good idea. Let's start with reality. I mean, if you've ever been into a WeWork, have you been into a WeWork, Farnoosh? I rented. I gave WeWork money for a number of years. I, and I, <laughs> I mean, it really is. It was a fun yeah. culture. I mean, it, it really, it started out as a phenomenal business idea. So you have to, in a way, give him his due. What is so fascinating when you watch the series We Crash is really how um, there's a fine line between having a vision, having belief, having the emotion behind it and delusion, 
right? And I find that founders, based on the interviews that I do, have to walk that line between believing, you have to believe what hasn't occurred yet. So you have to believe, you have to have faith, right? You have to believe something and bring it into being. And there's a fine line between having that um being, you know, fastidious with your vision, and then also being delusional. And I think you saw it so clearly played out in this show. And that was what's so fascinating to watch. To your point about gender, my gosh, we we could go on and on about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it spoke, especially with your audience of so money, it really spoke to how when female founders walk into a room, they want to get everything right and they want to deliver accurate information and they want to double check everything. And when male founders, and I guess, again, I am really generalizing here, but I think you're going to understand what I'm putting down. When male founders, they sell the idea that hasn't existed. And there's, they, ironically, they come from a place of emotion. They come from a place of magic. And that is what sells it. Women, ironically, come from a place of facts and come from a place of this is what's going to happen. And so they're not as like, this is part of it, and this is oversimplifying, but this is part of why they don't always get the funding that yes. the men do. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. I mean, in this, there was a scene in the in the series at one point. He's in the back of a cab with Masa, who is the founder of SoftBank, which ended up being the largest investor in WeWork. He gave him four point four billion dollars, basically a back of the napkin pitch, right? I mean, he had his deck, but he was like, "Put the deck away. I don't invest in ideas. I invest in people." Mm-hmm. I don't see that scene playing out as it did with a woman and a man, like a man investor and a woman entrepreneur. I can see that with a woman investor and a woman entrepreneur getting together. I I did this. I I had coffee with a female entrepreneur. She spent an hour telling me about her business. But what I gleaned from that was more her just uh, incredible ambition and fortitude and all of the qualities you want to see in a founder that she wasn't directly like telling me about, but I could see it through her articulation and her passion and her delivery. And I was like, I don't know so much about what you're trying to start. I mean, I think it's valid and I think it's needed, but I also equally love you. And that's why I ended up giving her some money. But I I don't, I want that to, I want what Adam Newman got to be what women can also get. But at the same time, there has to be a responsibility with that money. I mean, if you could interview Adam Newman what would you want to ask him right now? By the way, he walked away with about a billion dollars in his exit package. Mm-hmm. So he's doing fine. Um, but what would you want to ask him? He's already said something um, in the aftermath along the lines of like, I got in over my head, my head got too big. But I want to ask him, what makes you think anyone should give you any money ever again? Well, Adam Newman is back. I mean, that's and that's one of the things that I was mentioning to you before. I know that he's talking with people in Philly about bringing he, wow. his original concept, which was, well, after the baby knee, baby knee pads. But in the show, you see that he initially pitched WeWork as communal living, right. you know, not just a communal office space, but a communal living. We live, yes. Yeah, we live. And that idea is making a comeback. And you're seeing that. I don't know if he was ahead of his time. I don't know if a broken clock is right twice a day. But this idea of communal living or of living in a building with a lot of amenities that build in this community, that build in, you know, uh, you have working space, you have your living space, you have a gym, which is not new, but 
you know, he's back, he's taking meetings, he's having calls. And so, you know, that's another thing I think we can talk about is that he gets a second chance, you know, it's, he's not in jail. Um, And the question about who goes to jail for what, you know, when founders defraud their investors, I think is an interesting one and one kind of above my pay grade, but he's back, baby. I mean, you might have a chance Mm. to interview him soon enough. Well, I actually did have a request into him. So Mm. this was, I think, maybe either the first season of To Dine For or the second. I had a request and I had two dear friends who worked at WeWork pretty high up. They have both since left and gone on to other things. And I originally uh, reached out to WeWork to sponsor the show because the program is about visionaries and dreamers who have created something out of nothing, just like, you know, so many people who who spend time in WeWork are trying to do. And so I thought it would be a nice partnership. So I had a meeting with WeWork. And at the time, the person said, you should interview Adam as part of your show. And I thought, okay, that sounds great. And it was right prior to any of this happening. So it was really on the upswing. And um, as many of my, re- my interview requests, they somehow... Either die on the vine, or I have to sort of rescind them because things have happened. It's always with male founders mm-hmm. that I have, and I could we could do a whole podcast on people that I have put out a request, and then oops, you know, there's been a sexual harassment claim or something's happened that I've had to say, okay, this isn't right for the show. Um, this obviously falls into that category. I mean, he he really does check all the boxes of a visionary and a creator, someone with a great idea. It is fascinating that he has the chutzpah to continue on. You know, he's got the money in the bank. This has happened in such a public way and that he hasn't checked himself. I find that really interesting. Yeah. Where is the humility? I don't know. How do we feel about Rebecca Paltrow Newman? Uh, The series depicted her as sort of a lost, sort of lost, right? She... I don't know how to explain it. Um, we know who she is. We yes. we see her a lot in New York City. Yes. She's she's at the Goop conferences. Yes. They have a lot of money. Yes. They live in the lap of luxury, but they don't really have a sense of direction, a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging. And I and and so the, to that extent, I did feel a little bad for her because you know you don't want that. You know that's not fair for anybody to feel that way. But also, she was quite cruel. She turned that emptiness and that loneliness that she was experiencing into uh, almost like a weapon against everybody, and and that's not cool. And so it was a big hypocrisy that she was selling. You want to elevate the world's consciousness, but I'm also going to fire you if I don't like your energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and And so what do we think? How do we think that, first of all, that may or may not be true. I don't know her, but it was interesting how the directors chose to portray her. I loved Anne Hathaway's performance in that. I thought she was so funny. And I thought it was, I don't want to say the exact, the performance was exaggerated because I felt like the performance was actually very spot on and perhaps the character was so exaggerated. But like when she kept sending her green juice back when they were having an important talk with the lawyers... (laughs) Or like when she in a moment of crisis, in a moment of such crisis, I thought thought Anne Hathaway was so funny in that role, and and I really liked the scenes with her. I was interesting from like a directorial standpoint. I was trying to figure out what they were doing with her because I don't necessarily think we were supposed to feel sorry for her. I think she Mm -hmm. was a pathetic character, and so there's that sense of pathos. But Mm -hmm. you know, they talked a lot about how she couldn't find her place you know, how she was really searching for things and would kind of latch on to other people as a result. Um, 
And as you know, she had been through this terrible tragedy with the death of her brother, but then you see her when she's trying to become an actor and they say, tap into your terrible tragedy. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, well, my best friend stole my boyfriend. And you could kind of see her. It was like she was making up the tragedy as it went along and refusing to tap into the deeper sadness around her brother's death. I didn't quite know where they were going with that. And I don't think that that justifies um, what she was you know, the the way that she behaved. But I think she really was someone who was like a little drunk on her own energy and was so mm-hmm. convinced that she was doing a good thing, not because she was doing anything, but it was this sort of tautology where she's like, well, I'm a good person and I want good things in the world to happen. Therefore, anything I do must be good for the world's consciousness. Um, and I just thought it was such an interesting character study and Really fun it was, to watch. It was an interesting character study. That's a great way to put it, Kate. I mean, I personally, I didn't look at her as pathetic. Ironically, um, I looked at her as a certain type of person who came from immense privilege. Who really, the rest of the world probably has never has probably never met. Maybe in New York, you've met someone like her. But the rest of the world has not met someone who is coming from really a, the same sort of delusion that Adam is coming, right? Really sees the world from a very specific point of view. I thought she really added to him, right? She was almost like the rocket fuel to his concept. So in a way, even though she tried many different career paths and they never quite panned out, I actually thought two things. I thought, you know what? Good for her. She's trying different things. (laughs) You can tell I'm an eternal Putting herself out there. (laughs) I'm an optimist. She was, she trying lots of different things. She was trying to follow her heart and her bliss, which was yoga. And then, you know, obviously the school that she was trying to create, I kind of gave her credit for that. Um, But I think, you know, it comes from a a very specific philosophy when, when you don't have to worry about money Mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and really everything is open to you and all possibilities are open that you and money isn't a factor. Who would you be? And I think she represents that person that that in, in just one slice of what somebody could yeah. be um, when when money isn't you don't have to worry about hard work or or where does the money come from? I mean, that's what was so that's why I say most people will not know a Rebecca Newman in their life unless you, you know, are in certain circles. Um, I thought she was a fascinating character. I think that's so interesting, too, because I think if you asked most people and said, if you didn't have to worry about money, who would you be? You think, well, I'd be a better person. I would I would focus on my family. I would focus on my hobbies. I would find a way to change the world. And you see how she does kind of do and say all of those things, mm-hmm. but it is just sort of rotten at the core mm-hmm. or it is it is so kind of self-delusional in a way. So yeah, she is saying like, you know, I, we're going to elevate the world's consciousness. You know, she tears up at the thought of animal cruelty or whatever, but just saying that those things are important or, or being aware of those things is not the same as doing things about it. And, and I think the money in, in part kind of dulled her to the actual action that had to happen because. Yes. There was no action. She wasn't, she wasn't, she never taught 
like truly hard work. And when you have the absence of money, you have to think totally differently than if it's never a thought and never a concern. And she really was a teacher of privilege. And Adam pointed that out to her, which I thought was the only scene in the whole series where I thought he gave her some good advice Mm -hmm. or a good, some good feedback where they were about to lose. They thought they're about to lose everything. He was stepping down as CEO. The IPO wasn't happening and they were together in an intimate scene in their apartment. And she said, you know, the money doesn't matter or money doesn't matter. And he said, the only people who say that are those who grew up with money. And he did not grow up with money. I think his father was a doctor, but, you know, split, split marriage. He was, you know, living on a kibbutz, moved multiple dozen times, you know. And so I don't think he had this mentality that the world is abundant and, and money is abundant. And, and she did. And perhaps that's why they even made a good team, because she could bring to it sort of this the spirituality and like manifest it. And while he was just really all about chasing the the success. I thought it was so interesting in that scene with him and his business partner, Miguel, who Adam grew up in a kibbutz in Israel. Miguel grew up in some other kind of communal, um, like matriarchal family setting in the US. And so you might think, well, you know, his wife grew up with a lot of privilege. He grew up with nothing. And they might approach things differently. But instead of saying to him, and this was when they were talking about whether or not they should go public or whether they should keep the company, mm-hmm. instead of saying, look, we grew up on on communes, we understand the power of community or the power of society, which is what he was saying in public. In private, he said, we never had anything that was our own. And this mm-hmm. is our chance to have something that's just for us, mm-hmm. which I thought was a really interesting private and again this is the fictionalized story i don't know what they pulled from interviews and what but just this idea that he was in public saying i grew up on a kibbutz i understand the power of we and then when he was alone with his co-founder he said i grew up on a kibbutz it's time i have something that's just mine yeah well you know kate daily actions speak louder than words and while we have not heard from adam newman and we don't know how t- much truth to d- extract from this fictionalized series the reality is he's a billionaire now he has not reached out to his former employees he's not i mean extended at least a little bit to them and i've heard through the grapevine that on his last day his last message to his employees was over the phone it was essentially a, a royal fu like i'm going you're screwed and we saw how those employees that were there from day 1 who stuck for 10 years because they wanted to elevate the world's consciousness and they got paid nothing mm. but they got shares they got the promise of uh, you know stock options we're left with nothing. And that speaks volume about your character as a person, as a leader, to not go back for those people in in some way. I mean, we'll see maybe, and and would they even want him to be around? I don't want to say that point. From what I understand, and I've been listening to the companion podcast to We Crash. So We Crash was a podcast, then it was a TV show. Now it's a podcast about the TV show that Scott Galloway. (laughs) And now we're doing an episode about all of it. We're we're deep in the rabbit hole. Um, And I'm paraphrasing Scott Scott Galloway here. But first of all, I think the employees who were there early at WeWork, when their their shares were very low, are coming out okay. And Adam and Miguel actually had, when the IPO launched, had a little private get-together with some of those early WeWork employees. Uh, The people who really lost out were the people who came in during the WeWork hype when this was supposed Mm -hmm. to be the next big thing and took rock bottom salaries and got nothing. And I thought the show did a great job of, because again, Adam and Rebecca are such entertaining characters. They are. Build a show. 
you want to build it around them. But I thought this the the series found a great way to work the workers who were who were doing all the work, who were who ended up losing this money that they thought they had, you know, depicting how they fit in and how they missed out. Wasn't the accent of Jared Leto, that Israeli accent, it has stayed with me. And in fact, I had to get on YouTube to see how Adam Newman actually speaks. And it is dead on. I mean, he nailed that accent. There were moments, though, Kate Sullivan, that I thought he sounded very like like Dracula. Like I was like, is he talking like am I watching Hotel Transylvania or is this a real? Well, and they're making another one. There's you know how there's never just one for yeah. whatever reason in the zeitgeist. There were, weren't there like two Mildred Pierce and two Truman Capotes. Like you can never just have one in the culture. So there's going to be another We Work movie and Nicholas Braun from Succession is going to play. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, who has a much different energy, but he is like six, seven. Right. And that's a big part. I think of Adam Newman's thing is that he walked into a room and he was like literally larger than life. The physicality of him really gave him power. We have a couple of minutes left and I want to end on another scene from the, we crashed series where uh, they bring in a brand expert, a brand imaging expert for Rebecca, because uh, she's, again, she's this sort of lost person. And he asks her, Rebecca, are you a magician, a maverick, or a muse? Because apparently this was going to then uh, identify the path that they were going to take for her imaging and her style and her branding. And she, uh, you'll have to see what she said. But for us, us three, wh- wh- who are we? Are we the maverick? Are we the muse? I, th- I think I'm the magician, because I, I tend to just like fly by the seat of my pants sometimes and and make things happen. I'm a hustler. I just kind of like see an idea and I go for it. I have this sort of impulsiveness, especially during times of of need and crisis. <laughs> like in a recession, I started a business. I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew I had to do something and keep moving. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think any one of us here are muses. I feel like that's like a very passive role. I, well, I'll let you answer. Kate Sullivan, you want to take it first? I, you know, first of all, I think Rebecca was definitely a muse. I mean, she was clearly in the muse category. She was her husband's Muse, and she created the muse behind, <clears throat> excuse me, we work. And I definitely think I fall into the magician category in the sense that I really love stories of people who've created something out of nothing. <clears throat> and that is, there is some magic to that. And that's what to nine four is too. Yeah. I think I am also, if I had to pick, I guess I would, I would pick magician. And I think you're right, Varnoosh, that I think, I think a maverick is sort of not aggressive, but a, a, a maverick kind of doesn't, Risky. Yeah. It doesn't. I think a magician is a really reactive role. A magician sees what's happening and and takes what they're given or takes what the circumstances are and makes things out of it. Whereas a maverick kind of doesn't doesn't maybe pay as much attention to the social cues or doesn't pay attention and just is kind of very tunnel vision. In my work and at home, a lot of it is taking what people give me and figuring out different ways to make it work. Three magicians. Here we are. I love it. Three three magicians making magic, changing up my show. Hey, you know what? Maybe this is the pilot for a new kind of episode on So Money where I just get to watch a lot more TV and talk about it. We got to do the dropout next. <laughs> got to do the dropout. Kate Daly, Kate Sullivan. And I'm going to get Rebecca Jarvis to join us, who was the oh, podcasterian no. of that and uh, sold that series to Hulu. So we'll we'll make that happen next. Everyone can watch We Crash on Apple Plus, and we'll be back here on Friday answering your money questions. Thanks, ladies. Thank you for news. Have a great day. So fun to be here. Thank you so much. <laughs> 